Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Virtual Viewpoints podcast, produced by the Michigan Virtual Learning Research Institute, a division of Michigan Virtual. The aim of this podcast is to amplify the voices of those working in K-12 online and blended learning and allow them to tell their stories, sharing perspective on their work and the continued evolution of our field. This episode is the fourth in our series documenting the Fuse Architect Project, a collaboration between the Nellie May Education Foundation, the Highlander Institute, and several other Rhode Island-based stakeholders endeavoring to design and pilot systems that promote student-centered learning. In this episode, we're talking with Roberto Gonzalez of the Rhode Island-based nonprofit Steambox. Roberto shares with us some inspiring stories that come out of the work that he does with Fuse Architect schools and other programs, and gives us insight on his process that puts students at the center and grants them control of their learning. Let's dive right into the interview to learn more. Okay, welcome everyone. We are here with Roberto Gonzalez, the Executive Director at Steambox. Welcome, Roberto. Hello, world. Hi. So uh, we are super interested in learning about the work that you're doing as part of the FUSE Architect program. Uh, but first, I think we want to get a more general sense for what your organization does and what you do uh, within the organization. You know, in thinking about uh, the FUSE Architect program and um, a lot of what we're trying to achieve under the Nellie May grant, um, and I don't know if uh, there's backstory and enrichment, feel free to jump in at any point. Um, I feel like uh, Steambox was kind of an ideal match from the start because what they're looking to do is they're looking to empower students and engage students through technology um, and based around their passions and interests. And that's pretty much an exact fit of how Steambox works. So if we were, um, if anybody wanted to, learn about uh, what Steambox does. It's very similar to what we're doing with this Views project. The students are my boss, and it's my job to take their passions and interests and turn it into a scientific project where they can learn from and they can own their own work. That's phenomenal. So can you give us some examples of some of the projects that you've worked on with students um, through Steambox? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it started with, uh, we started doing some maker projects and uh, we started with a directive through other organizations as we evolved into Steambox. And um, it usually involved um, a think tank of adults coming together and saying, we think this is what the students need and how they should learn. Um, and what I, what I learned real quickly was that um, the students, whenever there was an opportunity for the students to modify something and to make that work their own, uh, the students were engaged on a whole nother level. So we started with some maker projects. Students were making their own watches from scratch. Uh, we uh, made perfumes and hand sanitizers and they designed them and they got into the entrepreneurial aspect. But uh, quickly, um, and, and as we developed in the steam box and we put our mind behind really making this belong to the students, the question became to each student, well, what is your passion? So I had a student uh, named John who his passion was, he was passionate about Star Wars. He was passionate about Halo. Um, and uh, everything that he was passionate about seemed to have a common theme and it was outer space. So John's project became, um, we wanted to we wanted to take a picture of the earth we wanted to send a device to space to take a picture of the earth and they do these high altitude balloon projects and other things that we took a look at so we went for it hmm. and i had no idea that it was something that we could actually pull off 
you know, uh, and that's not important to me. It's not important to me that the end game, the end result, uh, something, a magnificent widget that the students made. What's important to me is the learning that happens along the way and the engagement that happens along the way. So uh, they worked on it for they worked on it for a full year and uh, I had hired people to help them. But what happened was since this project is truly their own, instead of a facilitator, an engineer from URI, the University of Rhode Island, instead of the facilitator coming in once a week to meet with them on Tuesdays and catch the students up on the work that they should be doing, like a traditional classroom, whenever my, whenever my facilitator came in, the students, since it was their project, they had already done all this research. They were lapping the facilitator. The students were way ahead of the facilitator every single time through no fault of the facilitator. Hmm. So we started to change the model. So instead of uh, sometimes we'll use a facilitator with a direct project, but for a lot of these indirect projects, I'm bringing in specialists to help students in very specific elements of their project. So we ended up going to Brown to test the rope strength. And we ended up at um, NBC 10, our local affiliate, and speaking with the weather woman so we can learn all about the wind patterns. Uh, and then the general of the United States became a pretty good friend of Steambox too. The general of the United States Air Force, I should have said. Um, his name is Marcus Gennetto. He's now retired. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that we had clearance uh, to send this thing to space. So uh, we had all of these people working together and the students were working really hard. And by the end of the year, they had a picture of the earth that they had taken themselves. This student, John, by the way, was a dropout candidate in the 10th grade. And now he's putting a picture um, of the earth into his co college application process. So uh, so he's gone from dropout candidate to Worcester Polytech uh, scholarship. Uh, which was pretty cool for John. And along the way, it's been other students with similar stories. I've got Mozart Lewis, who ended up working at Google because of apps that he was developing with us. We built a fully-fledged uh, TARDIS, which is a Doctor Who uh, phone booth. Um, and it, it is huge, and it's beautiful, and it's a, it's a photo booth on the inside. So if you go in, you can take uh, pictures with your friends. And right now, we're working uh, in the Fuse Architect program, uh, and I've got countless stories and I won't, I won't do that to you, but in the fuse architect program, uh, with Woonsocket, uh, P-Tech, uh, which we've relabeled Wu-Tech, uh, <laughs> we are developing a, we're developing a vehicle, uh, that talks to you and, uh, ideally, and this is early, this is stage one, uh, ideally you have to look at you when it talks to you too. So we're developing a vehicle that looks at you and talks to you and does a number of other special things. That's amazing. Those are some amazing stories. And trust me, you would not be boring me by, by, by telling even more. Um, so so I'm curious about the kind of model that Steambox uh, uses. Are, are you working with students during the school day, after the school day, a little bit of both? Uh, definitely both. We're doing whatever works. Uh, Capacity is limited. So the idea of um, I spoke at the InspireCon uh, last year in Massachusetts, and a funny thing got tweeted out a bunch of times uh, from that from that conversation. And it was me telling the crowd, I want you to have the secret sauce. I want you to have it. And I hope that you can apply it. And I hope that we can have a number of other programs like this everywhere. But the idea to be able to truly relinquish that locus of control onto the students is 
transformative amongst yourself. And you're going to have a lot of work that you can do within yourself before you can truly give the keys over to the students and say, you build this, I've got your back. So um, that's the secret sauce. And it's really hard to do. And therefore, it's really hard for me to bring on other facilitators so that I can grow and expand. So with limited capacity, I'm working at a number of schools, actually a couple of states, telecommuting like we're doing now. And um, and we're offering the program. I've got stuff happening during the school day in a couple of schools, after school uh, in, a, in a number of schools, and everywhere in between, specialty programs, weekends, summers vacations uh we're getting it in when we can that's great yeah so we're like you said depends on the context and however you can you can help that help out so um so you mentioned some other schools that you're working with are you working with any other schools as part of the fuse architect program no just just one uh and and that's this is early to me this is my introductory phase uh into the fuse program and um i'm looking forward to doing more but yeah we just jumped in with one i was worried about my own capacity uh but we've worked it out that's great and so i you know you, you've touched on some some big successes that you've had and and obviously the successes that you've had in working with students i'm curious about and and you also mentioned um challenges with regard to staffing and capacity. Are there any other challenges that you faced in, in working specifically with, with Fuse Architect and how you are trying to kind of address those challenges and overcome them and, and, and scale up a little bit? Yeah, you know, uh, each each school has its own unique um, strengths and challenges. And, um, and, and that's real easy to say, and it's a real easy concept for us to grasp. But to really put your hands on it, is um is a whole nother it's a whole nother layer so uh for instance um i developed this as a as a providence resident you know having grown up in providence uh we were working on this program specifically to tailor to providence and um the reason i say that is because we have neighboring towns just like just like a lot of the communities right have some neighboring towns that are the haves and they have some of the communities that are the have-nots. Um, some are more plentiful in resources and others are less so. So um, I wanted to, it's, it would be really easy for me to go in and, and sell the program to uh, a community like Barrington in Rhode Island, which is a very rich community and they can afford to have Steambox in there and they can afford to monopolize Steambox. But the problem is they have so many great resources already that it seems like it might be it would it would certainly be a great fit and it would be great for their community and students but it it seems like a little bit of an injustice that some of the some of the urban schools have less resources and less opportunities to own their work like they do with steambox um sorry for throwing all that out there but what I think that leads to is I am digging into a hole with Providence with intent. And it's not an easy community to work with. Their school department um, has a lot of work to do, and we're working on it together as partners. The resources are very limited. Um, so it's not as um, financially responsible as going to work with some of those other communities. But I feel like those are the students who need it the most. So as we branched out and we're in Massachusetts and we're in Missouri, um, when I'm working with some of these different communities, we're finding very, very different needs in, in Missouri. And, uh, we're working with a, a town called, um, Rittenor. and a lot of people don't know 
that, uh, and, and I know you're very familiar with it in, in your state, you know, we've got this water crisis in some of the communities. Um, in Rittenor, in, in Missouri, like people don't know how widespread some of these issues are. Like we think that it's just Flint, Michigan, you know what I mean? Um, but some of these communities are having the same struggles and, this, and, and even worse social justice struggles. So that's just outside St. Louis where the community and police are clashing so often. So the passions and what's on the mind of these students is very, very different from community to community to community. And that's what I'm finding to be one of the biggest challenges. So working with the FUSE program, we're in Woonsocket, and it's a very different mindset uh, from Providence. I think the culture is very different. Um, it feels like um, the home life is very different. And I'm speaking superficially and I'm speaking generally. And none of this, I don't want to pigeonhole any particular student or community in particular. Um, but it feels like uh, it's just a very different feel over there, the way that they talk to each other, the, the civics. So a lot of the times um, we start with engineering and then we're and then we're processing out some other thoughts about race or um, some other justice issue. And I look at those as initial challenges, but I also look at those as opportunities. Um, so that's what we've been working with. We, we take a look in different communities and it's just as true for the Fuse Architect program in Woonsocket. And we look at some of the, uh, where the student's mindset is and um, we've been able to incorporate some of this stuff into our technology lessons, which might sound weird, but it's, I think it's very natural to do if you're ready for it. That's, that's great. Um, so, so you mentioned the importance of kind of giving up that control and, and putting the students at the locus of control. How, how do you approach conversations with folks in school buildings, maybe administrators or teachers, about doing that? And um, how do you conceptualize doing that when you're working with students or when your organization is working with students? So I, I realize um, I realize that it's I'm asking people to do something that's very unnatural. It's very unnatural. So and I realize that because as the head of the classroom, right, and that's how teachers are perceived. They're literally positioned in the head of the classroom most traditionally. Um, there's a certain mentality that comes with that, that this is my classroom. I run this classroom. I'm facilitating this classroom. And they're the boss. Um, and and I found that when the opposite is true, that's when student engagement has, can increase. So to come back to your question, how do I how do I deal with those facilitators and those teachers, and how do I and and how do we work together on this? Uh, usually, it's one step at a time, and um, because I realize that I can't expect them to change the entire paradigm of what they think a student teacher relationship should look like, I realized that I can't just drop a sentence and then that mentality is going to switch. And I also realized that I've got room for growth and I'm not perfect neither. So what I'm talking about is what works really well for me. And yeah, I think it works on a general level too, but the teachers have a lot of validity in the things that they know how to do as well. So we're looking for some common ground and the first thing that I can do is show them, not tell them, but show them how it works for Steambucks. Show them how it works for us when we offer students the opportunity to own their work and we're listening to them and, and giving them the chance 
to build out their own programs. And when people and facilitators can see results based on that model, they see a path that they can take. They can then relate to that path. And I think the other element that's really important for me, and uh, shamefully, it's a little outside of STEAM, right? STEAM box, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Like if that's my lane, I probably go outside my lane a little bit uh, when it comes to um, behavior management. Because when it comes to behavior management in the classroom, I focus almost entirely on positive reinforcement. And what that means is, the student in the classroom who is the most jumpy, the student in the classroom who's looking for attention and uh, probably going to throw something, you know, or whatever the case is, different per student, uh, that student knows how to get attention through negativity. And um, I want to focus solely on the positive behaviors. And I want that same student to also get attention, but I want that student to realize that to get my attention, it's working through the positive behaviors. And that's a quick mindset. Just like I said, showing the facilitators, we can show that to the students too. And the way to do that is by giving that positive reinforcement to the students who are behaving in classroom desirable manner. And then the other students start to subtly and naturally modify their own behavior. And that's another one of those things that I really like to model in front of a lot of classrooms because we are we have a paradigm we have we have a model in our head of what it looks like and it looks like no don't do that um instead i want to say yes this is what i'm looking for to the students who are you know really pulling it off and i want the other students to get on board with that too so it's a two-pronged effect for me mm -hmm. great um so i'm curious about some of the kind of upcoming plans and things that you're working on with wu-tech as as you called it um yeah. what what kind of things are you guys working on now and what kind of things are you planning on working on um into the future what are you excited about working on at, at wu-tech i so we um we had an opportunity to come in and uh build out websites per student right so we got into really light technology um with a lot of these other schools if i'm there all the time uh it's really easy for me to get to know the students and it's and when i get to know the students uh, a project can naturally come from their passions and interests but since my time is limited with wutech um the path that we took was to show them some technology and through that technology that we were showing them start to learn their passions and interests so as we developed websites their mandate was to go and look for um go and look for things that really interest them because they want to personalize their website but it served a double purpose because as they're personalizing their website we're having conversations about oh wow you really like cars huh cars is really important to you oh wow you really like design you really like art and we're getting into these conversations with students so that's where a larger conversation happened with step two when we're having our, our, our own podcast and our podcast is very <laughs> you'd be ashamed of our podcast um i want to show all the students that i want to show all the students. and i'm going on a tangent here i apologize uh i want to show all the students that they can do a podcast at any time so i'll show them backwards we'll reverse engineer it from the rss feeds to hosting sites um but the most important thing is i've gone away from the blue yeti mics uh which we have you know what i mean and i love that opportunity but when i have so many students it's really hard to capture everybody on a couple on on four mics so um 
I pull out, I pull out my iPad and I tell them that they can do the same with varying results. We can find free apps that are going to record, that are going to edit and that are going to post and share this work. So I pull out my iPad with a free app on it. And I say, if you pull out your smart device, we can find also a free app. So you can be podcasting today. You can make a professional podcast about the video games that you love. And I would find if you love Xbox, I'd find a PlayStation guy to argue with about it because you're going to get more listeners that way. Or you could just find your buddies and just record a podcast about anything and you'll get it as you go. Uh, but that served another purpose. So not only are we using really cheap, basic equipment, um, it's not the iPad's not cheap, but you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> not only are we using accessible equipment, um, but we're also having a conversation that followed up their websites, which starts to lead into what kind of project that we're going to do. So it was from there that we decided, Hey, all right. So if we love auto so much and we love design so much, what if we design some kind of auto? And we're also looking at the resources at the school. That school is very different from any of the other schools that I work with because that school has uh, a garage auto shop. They have uh, a print design uh, lab. They've got virtual reality. Um, they've got a wealth of resources in that particular school. So what we're able to do is now team up with some of the other schools and they can add a piece to this mosaic puzzle by developing their go-kart or whatever it's going to be. And other people are going to be working on some of the software and design, and we can get a lot of that stuff done within their school and community. That's great. And so I'm, I'm just clarifying, are the students working on like a group project or are there individual projects or small group projects? We will. Uh, we are working towards one project, which has a number of subsets in it that you've correctly identified. So the groups are going to be splitting up and some of them are going to be working on hardware. Some of them are going to be working on software. Ideally, they're also going to rotate. So they'll all have a chance to put their hands on all of it. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that we've got a hardware uh, group, we've got a software group and we've got a design group. So um, we're going to be designing aesthetics to it as well. That's great. That sounds like a cool model. Well, Roberto, thank you so much. I want to give you an opportunity to um, highlight any other things that you'd like to talk about, point us toward websites or other online presences that you'd like folks to check out with regard to Steambox. Um, anything else that you'd like to mention before we wrap up? Yeah, man. Uh, so I've got a student named Julie Cheeks. Today is her birthday. Uh, that is not that important. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my point is not just a birthday shout out. Um, she was that first student that I met at one of the schools. And uh, she wanted to get into anime, which was a challenge for me. So how are we going to do an anime project, right? And like make it scientific without just being in an anime club? Um, so I gave them, you know, half, it was a hybrid. They get their anime club kind of thing, but we're also doing workshopping. And by the end of the first year, they were working at Rhode Island Comic Con. And by the end of the second year, they were at uh, Anime Boston, which is one of the largest animation conventions. And so I, I asked them to challenge me by the end of the third year. And I said, what's our big project going to be? I mean, I got you guys to Boston. We can do this. What are we going to do? And it was a super expensive trip. And I'm like, whatever, we can do it. So they were like, all right, so uh, best animation studio in the world. We want to go and learn there. We want to learn in their studio. Uh, so that took a lot of phone calls. But first, I wanted to know, all right, cool. Is that, does that mean we're going back to Boston again? And they were like, uh, no, it's called Studio Ghibli. And it's in Tokyo. Um, so I ended up taking Julie and, uh, well, not Julie, unfortunately, uh, she had some passport issues, but I ended up taking a group based on Julie's work 
to Japan to study animation in the best animation studio in the world. This is the kind of thing that we do at Steambox. Um, it is really hard uh, to fund these things, but again, they're my boss and whatever they're looking for. So this year, our podcast is going to Toronto uh, because we want to do a contrast of United States healthcare and Canadian healthcare. But next year, that same animation group, the ones who didn't make it, are going to be seniors and they say they are not leaving high school until they make it to Japan. So yes, please keep an eye out for us. Uh, please follow us on social media. We are steamboxri.com. We are steamboxri on all of the Insta, Facebook, Twitter, all of that good stuff, steamboxri. And drop us a note and say hi and let us know how we can help your community. That's amazing. Happy birthday, Julie, by the way. And uh, it was really fun <laughs> hearing about the project that you got to work on. Roberto, thank you so much for sharing some of these amazing stories. We really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. Yep. Take care. Once again, that was Roberto Gonzalez of Steambox. Roberto's passion and excitement for his work shine through so clearly in the way he speaks about the students with whom he works. I'm certain that the Fuse Architect initiative is benefiting from his passion and skills. Hopefully he's able to replicate the successful formula he's devised to grow and scale his efforts and continue to put more students at the center and grant them greater control of their learning. We wish him the best of luck going forward. Be sure to check out our episode description on our podcast page for links to more information on this project and check back on our SoundCloud channel for new episodes for this series playlist as they become available. We want to once again thank Roberto for taking the time to talk with us today, and thank you for listening. We also want to encourage all of you to make use of the resources and opportunities provided by MVLRI and Michigan Virtual. You can check out our website to learn more about all the work that we do as we strive to advance K-12 education through digital learning, research, innovation, policy, and partnerships. Visit us at michiganvirtual.org to see more. We look forward to joining you again soon for another edition of the Virtual Viewpoints podcast. Until then, take care.